accomplished. Isn't it great that his love is never ending and that he will always be there for us? You notice the title of the message, Men and Women of Prayer. Uh, We talked last week a little bit about who should pray. Who should pray in church? And the same passage we looked at for communion in Hebrews, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you look at verse 4 of that same chapter, it says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. So who's to pray in church? You know, there's, there's some... There's, there's a couple schools of thought, and we're going to look at those, but we talked last week in 1 Timothy. If you take your Bibles and go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 8, Paul says, and you have to remember, when the Bible was written, there weren't chapters and verses and all of this. Man has put those in there to help us figure out where we are so we can go find it instead of trying to remember what page it's on. But So disregard, I like this. There's no chapter and verse. We're going to do 8 and 9 together if we can. Or as soon as we do 8, flip to 9. It says, because I'm going to keep going. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or golds or pearls or costly clothing. You see how that reads if you don't put in a, a period there at the end? of verse 8, without wrath and doubting, in like manner. So Paul's saying, in like manner, women can pray. But we got to make sure that, you know, not just men lifting holy hands with a pure heart, but also women, if they're going to pray, need to do that too. There are two extreme positions that appear today, and they both use the same verse. One position permits women to occupy places of prominence and leadership in public services. Women preachers, women choir directors, women officers, and no position is withheld from them based on the way they've translated the scripture. And they're prominent. There's a lot of that going on today. The other extreme on this issue is taken by those who do not allow women to do anything in the church. And you know, can you imagine, how many of you love really great music? How many of you like four-part harmony? Okay, if we never allow the women to do anything in church, who's going to do the soprano and the alto part? Not me. Not me. When I came off the ventilator last year, I sounded like a junior high tenor boy. And I prayed, Lord, don't let my voice go on the rest of my life this way. It sounded really strange. Can you imagine if you took every song, every beautiful song that's done in four-part harmony and took out two parts, what it would sound like? 
be pretty deep, wouldn't it? But there are people who say women can't do anything in the church. I've, I've read church constitutions that say women can't do anything in the church. I don't hold that position according to Scripture. I hold they shouldn't be preachers. But the church I was saved in, I don't think she's still alive, but Betty Ruth Stevens, from the time I was a little bitty kid, even into adulthood, led music in this church. She led the music and she sat down. Because she had a beautiful voice and she knew how to do it. I think we lose a lot of talent. God has gifted each one of us. Okay, how many of you, how many of you will say women can't do anything in the church? I was waiting for one of the guys to raise their hand and I was going to have them come up and play the piano. Have you ever thought about that? We, some churches hold a position, women can't do anything. Who's going to play the piano? I don't know very many of us guys that can do, you know. There are some who are gifted. I've heard very gifted male pianists. But God's gifted us in so many ways. Some of the best Bible teachers I know are women. From past ministries we've done, women Bible study teachers are phenomenal. But there are groups that say they can't do anything. But that's not what Paul says here. He says, and I've underlined those three words, in like manner. In verse 9, see how it starts there? In like manner also. He doesn't say, well, this is what the men do and this is what the women do. He says, in like manner, women also ought to be doing this. This is an old story. I got it from one of the commentaries that I study. It says, to illustrate this, allow me to tell you a story, and I hope you understand that I do so in a fastidious manner. There's a little town in the Midwest where there lived a very prominent maiden lady. Everyone agreed that she would have made some man a wonderful wife, but she had never been asked, and she died an old maid. The society editor from the local newspaper who normally would cover such a story was out of town, and the sports editor was asked to write up a little notice of the lady's death. Some of you are laughing already, yeah. He concluded the article with these words, here lies the bones of Nancy Jones. For her, life held no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. That's from Dr. J. Vernon McGee, by the way. I'll give him credit. That's from one of his commentaries. Um, we miss out so much when we say that women can't do anything in the church. Um, the confusion starts because of misunderstanding of passages of Scripture. Um, you have to understand where Paul was at, where the Roman world was at at that time. Um, Do a blank. Mike used an illustration this morning of one of the great missionary uh, wives died of smallpox. Who knows Elizabeth Elliot? Who knows who that is? The little one back there knows. We all ought to know if that little one knows. Of course, she's going to raise her hand if I do, right? Yeah. Jim, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot and Elizabeth and four other families went to 
Shell, Ecuador, down in the lower region of Ecuador, and they were martyred in the late 50s uh, by the Aka Indians. Elizabeth Elliott and several others went back later on and evangelized that group. The man who speared her husband to death was saved later. I've seen, I've seen the, the story on video that when they were traveling with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Mike didn't tell you this little tiny Aka Indian. You gotta understand, you ever been to Ecuador? Any of you been to Ecuador? I'm El Gigante, a, a giant, because they would come up to, we've been three times down to Ecuador, and they'll come up and they'll put their hand on top of their head and they would walk up to me, and then they would back up. And the, the tall, the, the Quechua would make up about uh, over half the population in Ecuador, and their, their tall ones are about this tall. So they don't grow real tall down there. And, uh, but this 79-year-old man got saved, came back and told the story of how he had killed Jim Elliott. And later on, the family came back and went back to that village, led him to Christ. And he traveled this country sharing the story. And you remember what he said about going to the grocery store? When he went back to Ecuador, they said, well, how did you eat? And he said, well, it's the funniest thing. You go to this big building and you just pull things off the shelf. And they put them in bags and you hand them this little piece of plastic and they let you go home. And he said, then you drive up to this other little window and you, you talk in this little box and you drive up to this other window and they hand you these bags and there's all this food in it. He said, it's the strangest thing. If you're from Shell, you have no idea what a McDonald's fast food lane is or a grocery store. But here was a woman who went back onto the mission field. I could name, if you look at the magazines that we get from different mission agencies, you know who we're sending out more and more today to foreign fields? Single women. We know a lot of young gals who are out on the mission field today serving God, sharing the gospel. Most of them are teachers, school teachers, camp programs and stuff like this, but they're sharing the gospel. Why? Because there aren't enough guys that want to go to the mission field. What talent do we waste in the church by not letting a woman do anything? But Paul says, let them do this. You know, how many of you have read the book of Esther? That's a great, that was my daily Bible reading yesterday and the day before was the book of Esther. I did it all in one day though. And because it, I'm like, oh, this is a cool story. You know, you got to believe she had to have been very lovely, very beautiful. It's what God's word says. And God used her in a mighty way. Okay. She can't do anything for God. So take the book of Esther out, right? What about Ruth? You know, there's a lot of women in the Bible that did really great things for God. I don't know how these people that teach that you can't do anything in church. But what does it say? It says that a woman adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. 
We don't go before God. None of us should go before a holy God trying to use the beauty that God has given us to make an appeal to him. And that's what the, the false religions in Rome at the time of Paul's writing were doing. And the braided hair and all the gold. They were trying to appeal to God based on outward beauty. That's not what God wants us to do. Verse 11, and most people take this one and they pull this verse out. Well, this means you can't do anything. It says, let women learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. These verses have to do with the learning and teaching of doctrine. Um, women led in, in the mystery religion of Paul's day. They had key, you know, the, the temple of the Princess Diana, if you've studied history and some of those things. They were worshiping false gods. And Paul is cautioning women not to speak publicly with the idea of making a, an appeal based on their, uh, their sex appeal. You know, for lack of anything better to say, that's what he's... Did we lose this? Is this still on? Not on. All right, let's go to this one, Jake. I'll, I'll try and stand still. Yeah, I'll try. It's really hard for me. But I think we lost the whole thing. So I'll just talk louder. How's that? Um, when we were, again, when we were in Ecuador, we went to... They have really great wood carvers if if when you graduate high when you get ready to go into high school you have to declare what you're going to do for your trade you want to be a carpenter you go to a high school that will teach you carpentry and then you do an apprenticeship you want to be an HVAC guy of course they don't have much HVAC down there that's what you learn and they have young men who go into wood carving and they do some of the most beautiful carvings out of wood that you've ever seen. But you have to look at what they're doing. And we went to one store, and here was a life-size cross with Christ on the cross. And it looked like a man hanging on the cross. And next to it was this round sun god-worshipping looking thing. And that's what it was. That was a... You'd hang on your wall if you were worshiping a sun god. And then there was another one, which was a nude woman. Full, yeah, in a, you know, just a really weird position. And I asked the missionary with, what is with this? I mean, we see Christ on the cross, but then you see this stuff. And he said, oh, you don't understand. The nude woman is the goddess of fertility. And they have taken Christianity, sun god worship, and worshiping the god of fertility, goddess, and blended it together into a religion in Ecuador. And he said it's really hard for them to break away from that because that's what they've known for so many years. Well, Paul's cautioning that here in Scripture that we don't take and blend false god and worship even in our apparel and the way that we go before God. And that's what he's saying here. And then in verse 13 it says, For Adam was formed first. Childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, 
and holiness with self-control. Have you ever, again, my short circuit goes off, have you ever had just needed a shot of caffeine or something, right, Jake? Let's turn the monitor off. It's got a real bad... No, it's not. It's got a... It's feeding something through it. Anyway. Woo! That'll wake up the preacher, too. Can you imagine if when Eve reached up and grabbed that fruit... If God would have gone, have you ever thought about that? Where what would be different today if when she took a bite and handed it to Adam, because Adam was not out playing nine holes of golf when she did this. He was right there with her. And when he took a bite, if God just went and started over. But he didn't. This was his plan. He knew. He knew they were going to do this. But it says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. How were you saved? Can you imagine if Mary had not given birth to Christ? Where would our salvation be? We were saved through childbearing, through the birth of our Savior. Each one of us is saved through our faith. That we know that Christ died on the cross, was buried, and that he rose again three days later. Each one of us is to grow in our grace and knowledge, in our love with him. I love singing these songs. This morning, we practiced Wednesday and it was just practicing to make sure we had our timing down. But this morning when we went over them again, each one of those songs said something to me. Um, that's why we broke it up the way we did. When I look into your holiness, when you think about the holiness of God, what does it say to you? When you go into his presence, and then surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Can you feel it? You feel God working in this place? And then happy the home where God is in it? You know, I don't know how people go through what they go through in life without Christ in their life. I can tell you, we have a son in heaven. We had never known anybody to lose a child until after our son passed away. And I've done, I don't know how many funerals for young people who grew up in our youth program who God's called home. And I remember Brooke. Brooke was this beautiful, talented young lady, got a brain tumor, lived for a few years after the surgery, and God called her home. And her dad, her dad and I were good buddies. We still are. He was, he was in the German Air Force when he was younger and he, he still had that accent and he was a pretty tough guy but he, he shared one time 
in a, in a meeting that we were in, he said, you know, I prayed for Brooks healing for years. And he said, I never understood why God didn't heal her. And he said, one day, God showed me that he did. He healed her completely when he took her home. You know, this he probably would have really struggled with the death of his daughter who was in junior high when she passed away if he hadn't had Christ in his life. You know, we go through a lot of struggles. Somebody asked me the other day, and they're not here this morning, I was going to explain, how do we... We don't know why we keep hitting little bumps in the road. I mean, uh, a bump here and a bump there, and in November there'll be another little bump, and we're just praying that God will just, you know, get me out of there. He'll fix, they'll fix it. Uh, I'll recover, and I'll be back up on my feet in a, a week or so. We don't know why. You know, the person said, you know, we see new people coming to church, and church starting to grow again and and then all of a sudden you get sick and go back to the hospital and I'm like I don't know but I trust a holy God that he's in control of this I'm not in control of this trust me if I was in control of this I wouldn't have this surgery I'm not Um, but then I love that amazing grace that we did this morning and we added the my chains are gone to it. My chains are gone. I accepted Christ as my Savior. That bond of sin was broken. Do I still sin? Yeah. Do I have to confess that sin? Yeah. But I know that I've been set free. That I have an assurance. And back in 1 Corinthians 11, that we ended the communion with, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Till he comes. And I think so often we forget that last little three words. Till he comes. The Lord is coming back. Soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That should be our prayer. We look at what's going on around us. Who wants to be here? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if before we closed with our last song, we'd hear that trumpet sound? We would be gone. Yeah, I think so. But we need to be growing daily. Went to some meetings the other night, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, the gentleman, I don't know if you followed the Hobby Lobby, all the stuff that they went through. The lead lawyer in the Hobby Lobby case was one of the speakers at a little church. He preached in a little church three days of meetings last week. I don't even know where I was. I rode with somebody, so I'm I'm pretty bad with directions, but I think it was around Bridgeport somewhere. And lost my train of thought. But uh, where where am I going? Hobby Lobby. Yeah, this was the lead lawyer for the Hobby Lobby case that was preaching. He's, He's the founder and director of the Christian Law Association that defends uh, Christians in court. And just to hear him sharing how he's seen God working in cases that they've tried. And, and they try hundreds of cases for free. And God keeps blessing that ministry. 
what can we do as a congregation? One of the songs talked about praying. One of the songs that we did. Oh, no. We're going to sing it in a minute. We're going to close with it. What would happen if we became a church of prayer? Ever thought about that? Not just Wednesday night for an hour on Wednesday night, but a church of prayer. The last church that we did, and I got to talk to the men about whether we can do that here or not, but uh, our last church, once a quarter, we picked a day, and it started at 5 o'clock a.m., and every hour. For 24 hours, somebody was in that church praying. Doors were open, lights were on, and somebody came in every hour for 24 hours and prayed for the needs of that church. And we saw that church grow. And we prayed, I mean, our prayer list was 17 pages long that we prayed every week for. We saw God answer some really in neat, neat ways, God answering prayer. But we took one day a quarter as a body of believers and prayed for the needs of the community, the needs of our nation, the needs of each other, the missionaries, and just spent a season in prayer. What would happen if we would do that here at Galilean? I think we could see the church grow and be a vibrant lighthouse in this community around us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had in your word this morning. We know that you have gifted each one of us. You have called us to pray for one another. That we're to make supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving thanks for all men. You've commanded us to pray for our leadership, and you desire that all be saved and to come to the knowledge of you. And Father, we just pray, I pray for each one that is here this morning, that Father, we will make prayer a priority in our life, that you will guide us, direct us, You've promised that you'll do that for us. I pray that Galilean Baptist Church in Fairmont can be a lighthouse in the darkness around us. That, Father, we might see people come to know you as their Lord and Savior through the ministry of the church. And we just pray that you'll cause each one of us to be concerned for those around us. And we pray this in your name.